Welcome to the Dialogue by Wirepoints, connecting the dots between our economy, government, and people. And now your hosts, Ted Dabrowski and Mark Glennon. Welcome to the Dialogue Wirepoints podcast. Ted Dabrowski from Wirepoints, and I'm joined by my partner, Mark Glennon, who is the founder and executive editor. And today we've got, let's say, a subject that's very important to so many people these days, given what's happened in schools. And uh, we, I could give the short version of it. We've had uh, the, the many failures of decades of, of education where too many kids can't read and write as they go through school. Uh, we've had the COVID debacle where we've had remote learning that has really impacted way too many kids, and particularly those kids of, of, of minority uh, households. Uh, we've had the mask mandates. We've had the vaccine mandates. We've had all kinds of stuff. And of course, then we've got uh, critical race theory and, and, and uh, sex education being forced on younger and younger kids in, in more and more um, aggressive ways. So there's a lot of demand for what I'd say school choice or school freedom. And uh, we're lucky to have today two people that are, are very engaged in that, uh, both from the American Federation of Children for Children. Uh, the first one is Walter Blanks. He's a national press secretary, and he's got a, an amazing story to tell about how he went through school choice. And Nathan Kunin, uh, who's a communications associate, and uh, they are both here to tell us a little bit about the story, about their stories, uh, a lot about what they do and how they're trying to make school choice happen across more of the country. And uh, together, they've been working together as school choice boys with a Z. And uh, they're trying to get the younger generation engaged in this, which is fantastic. You know, they're the ones that benefit from it. Um, so uh, the, the young people are the ones who should have the biggest desire for school choice. So let's just get into it. Uh, both Mark and I have been avid, avid pushers of, of school choice. We love the freedom that uh, we think it would provide. But uh, instead of talking about it, Walter, let's just take take us through your story because your story is one that's been told. You've had a chance to tell it at the White House, um, you know, all over the country. And not too long ago, you were um, you were a kid struggling uh, in a, from what, from what I understand, a low income household in, in Ohio. So, how did your life? switch, change, move, you know, totally transform itself. Yeah, well, well first off, Ted, uh, thank you so much for having the boys on. We, we really appreciate it. We often say that we will go far and wide to share our experiences in the hope that, you know, more children uh, receive the kind of opportunities that, that, uh, that we did. And so um, growing up in the inner city of Columbus, Ohio, uh, I was surrounded by poverty, crime, and low expectations, really rough rough neighborhood. Uh, most most of my friends um, who didn't live in my community uh, fell asleep to their parents, you know, singing them lullabies. Or um, I had one friend who would, his dad would read off his current stocks that he was, he was looking at and, you know, things like that. Very, very happy homes. Uh, my brother and I were falling asleep to, to gunshots um, within our neighborhood. And so it was a very tough, tough living environment. And I'm number two of six children. So in any family, that's that's quite a toss-up there. But um, I was in a different school almost every year. My parents tried uh, public schools, charter schools, community schools. I even homeschooled for a little bit, and nothing really seemed to to work out. And so there was one time in particular where um, I was bullied a lot, and and I came home and or I was at school, and uh, I, a couple kids ripped the shirt off of me. I had it on the cool cool Spider-Man shirt, and the number one rule that my mom had for me, because I was kind of a problem child, was uh, she better not get a call saying that I was acting up in class and that she had to get off work and come come and pick me up. And so 
she worked multiple jobs. And so she saw that as, you know, less money in her pocket because I was at school acting, acting up. And so um, she came to the school and the first thing that the principal said was, well, we should probably figure out what Walter did to make those kids react in the way that, that, that they did. And which ultimately resulted in them jumping me essentially. And so she was very, very upset. I was in tears. I was scared because she had gotten off work and I was like, I don't know what's about to happen. And so uh, the principal told her, if you just give us five years, we'll have this, this particular middle school and the high school that I would have been going to, uh, which was all in the same district. Uh, we'll have both of these schools turned around and they will be a better place for Walter. And my mom said, she kind of chuckled and she said, in five years, Walter will either be in jail or in a body bag. And, and we just don't don't have time for that. And so uh, after a lot of research and organization, reached out to my mom and said, hey, Walter might be eligible for the scholarship based off of the school that he attends. Um, and that was really where my journey started. Uh, thanks to the Choice Scholarship Program in Ohio, I was able to attend a small uh, private Christian school where the academic rigor was where my parents uh, wanted it to be. They set really high expectations, but also the the, the overall values of that school, my parents really aligned with and wanted to um, instill in me. And so I was learning how to be a well-rounded individual, a contributing member to society, while also being in a place that stretched me academically. And so uh, statistically speaking, I wasn't supposed to graduate high school, definitely wasn't supposed to graduate college, which I did both of those things and um, was able to to really leave my my mark on, on the world and, and still really just getting started. Um, after graduating college, I uh, moved out to Washington, D.C., where I joined um, the national team at the American Federation for Children, uh, really collecting um, student success stories across the country and highlighting the, the positive impacts that school choices had across the country and across um, different programs. And um, like you alluded to, six months in on the job with very little policy knowledge or experience, um, found myself at the White House. Um, sitting right next to President Trump, where um, I, I told him that I was essentially coming for his job and that he was on notice, uh, which everyone everyone absolutely loved. And the the really cool thing about about my story is just that there are millions of students across the country who are um, in the same position that I was in, desperate, looking for a way out. They hate the school that they're in, and they deserve options and they deserve opportunities that that I have. And so. Um, that's what I believe in. School choice is more than uh, a talking point or a uh, polarizing issue. It's something that I've lived, and it's something when you break it down to its core, it's something that we all should should agree on, and, and that's regardless of where you come from, your zip code, how much money your parents make, that as a student, you should have access to the best educational environment that, that fits your needs. And so Nathan and I have been touring the country, um, speaking on behalf of students and parents, and and I'm really honored to be to be fighting and on the front lines of of this of this cause. Hey Walter, when I heard you speak the other day, I, I I noticed you said that you guys didn't know about school choice. You didn't know about it. Your parents didn't know about it. So how exactly did you find out about school choice, and you know, and and somehow let it impact your life like it did? Yeah, it was it was really just I mean coincidence, act of God, whatever whatever you want to call it. I mean, it was a random cold call from the Black Alliance for Educational Options. Um, this is said, hey, we're just reaching out to as many parents and families as we can. And, and then it was funny because I interned at School Choice Ohio for two summers while I was in high school, where I was literally doing the same thing, 
cold calling families and saying, hey, your, your child, you know, we got your information from the Department of Education, your child might be eligible for this. And so I think the first step in contacting parents and families is just knowledge, right? Just letting them know that this option is, it could be available. I mean, every single student that was in that public school was eligible for the scholarship because it was a low performing school and had been for, for decades. And so um, the first thing is just battling that, right? And sometimes, like you said, boots on the ground, door knocking and, and putting that knowledge into the hands of, of parents and families so that they can make that decision for themselves. Nathan, what's what's your story, um, and and how does that uh, differ from Walters? And and of course, you've got you're you're in a different state. You grew up in Florida. Uh, Walters in Ohio, so Florida is known as as maybe the the best state for school choice in terms of all kinds of access, uh, different programs. I was looking at the at the Ed Choice site uh, today, and it's amazing how many programs they have. And you know, if there's if there's a state that Illinois should be copying from, it's that one. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um... Florida is, you know, really the, the the high standard for what a state should be doing in terms of school choice around the country. Um, and that certainly impacted my story. Um, in a lot of ways, my story was um, parallel or opposite to Walter's. Um, I actually started off in private school using a school choice scholarship uh, as early as first grade. Um, my parents were able to uh, get me a Florida tax credit scholarship, which is, uh, you know, the biggest program in Florida. And for eight years, I used the Florida tax credit scholarship to access a really great education that uh, pushed me academically. Uh, the teachers and the staff and the, and the faculty really invested in me uh, in building me up as, as a child. And um, after eighth grade, I kind of took it all for granted. Uh, I, I didn't really understand the how great of an opportunity I'd been given. And I begged my parents to let me give up my scholarship to attend our big uh, local public school because I wanted to play sports and be a football star. Um, And after about a year of begging, my parents finally gave in and let me give up my scholarship so that I could attend the school. And just very shortly after arriving there, I realized what a terrible decision that I had made. Um, because although by every metric that one might look at, that school was considered to be a good public school, it just wasn't the right fit for me. Um, I really struggled academically. I struggled socially. I struggled morally. Um, and two years later, after my sophomore year, I ended up begging my parents to let me return again to a small Christian private school where I had grown up. But we couldn't afford it. Um, So once again, we needed the assistance of the Florida Tax Credit Scholarship Program. Um, So one of the things that I always make sure to emphasize is school choice saved me twice, but for millions of other kids around the country and thousands of them right there in Illinois, they never even have that opportunity once. So ended up finishing out my high school career in private school and then went off to college and eventually... uh, joined the American Federations for Children's Future Leaders Fellowship Program, which takes school choice beneficiaries like Walter and I and trains us to be professional advocates for the very programs that helped us access a great education. Uh, Guys, Mark Lennon here. And uh, man, is it uh, nice to see young people like you, and you are young. We can see you, but you 
I doubt you're half my age, but then uh, uh, you, you go by the school choice boys, by the way. That's a moniker you might see for these two guys. Um, but, uh, man, is it inspiring and wonderful to see fo folks like you out there doing the work you're doing. Uh, you know, give us some, some sense. We're, we're, we're fighting this battle um, here in Chicago and Illinois. You do it full time, however, and you got a pretty good feel on the pulse, I would think, for, you know, kind of what resonates, what doesn't in terms of, uh, of messages. We got to get to, you know, especially the, the Democrats in Chicago, frankly, um, where they're very aligned with the public unions, which are against school choice. And uh, we got to go over their heads and get to the general public on this. Uh, as you guys said, a lot of people don't even know what it's about. But uh, what, what tips can you give us for what kind of messaging will work and how do we do that? Sure. Well, first of all, I think we've seen a big change in the last two years for certain. Um, you know, it it really took a tragedy to to cause this, but because of COVID and the education conditions that existed during COVID with school closures and, you know, virtual learning. And in the case of Chicago, teachers union strikes as early as last January, um, th that those events really awakened the public in a big way and parents are waking up. And um, while I, we still think it's certainly true that a lot of people don't understand sort of the nuance about what school choice really is, um, I would very strongly assert that a, a lot more people are have caught on to this idea of education freedom than where we were perhaps two years ago. Um, so, you know, exactly kind of what Walter already alluded to, the biggest part of our job is making it very obvious that the most powerful part of this equation is your personal stories, right? So if we, we want to talk about how do you message the school choice movement in a way that attracts, you know, new people who, who, who might be interested in, in individualized education. Well, the most powerful aspect of that is whatever your education journey has been. For us, that was school choice. For others, uh, you know, it's homeschool. And for others, it's charter school. For others, they love their public schools. And, and we just want to highlight all of those those numerable things. Yeah, you know, the, the polls on this are absolutely remarkable. Nationally, it's a overwhelming majorities. I mean, upwards of 80% support school choice. Um, you know, obviously that's so large, it cuts across political lines, ethnic lines, income lines, everything. You know, but Walter, I've never seen a poll though, specifically about Chicagoans or African-Americans in Chicago on that topic. Uh, do you think they're ready to hear this? And uh, they would be the primary beneficiaries. You know, you want to talk about equity, give them equality of choice. They don't have the choice. You know, us in the white bread suburbs, we got enough dough to have a choice. If we don't like our public schools, they don't. Um, are, they, are they ready to hear that message, do you think? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I believe speaking from, you know, someone who's grown up in the inner city, uh, I mean, they're, they're the same across across the country. And there are a lot of barriers outside of just knowledge, right? It's, 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 it's not a simple um, way to fix it. I mean, you're dealing with violence, you're dealing with low income, you're, you're dealing with a lot of different things when it comes to, you know, what's really going on specifically in, in Chicago. And so I definitely think, I mean, now more than ever, that uh, people from the Black community or the minority communities are are ready for that conversation. Uh, but it takes it takes work, right? It takes a plan, it takes strategy, it takes time. 
and it's it can be difficult to to break a, a mindset so to speak you know you've lived one way for so many generations that it's hard to hard to break out but i think changing the conversation a little bit and overall messaging about what school choice is um is a great a great first step i mean when you know you have the unions or, or the people who oppose the work that we do constantly talking the same talking points as they have forever um you just hear that all the time and it to a point where it becomes truth and so i think um really being able to to have sit down honest raw conversations that like look like school choice shouldn't be a political issue it shouldn't be something that divides us it should be something that that unites us and then taking it a step further i believe that nathan is a um, very masterful um and thoughtful person when it comes to messaging around school choice um and he says all the time not to steal your thunder nathan but that you know at the core of every single issue whether it's a social justice issue political issues um social economic issues that education is at the core of of all of that and when you're able to make that connect those dots that right like you want you want the violence and the crime to stop in chicago right like education is a way to to combat that right you have kids out in the streets you know gunning gunning each other down or you know hijacking people when they should be in school right so 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 why why don't we focus on engaging students at the academic level when they're while they're young keep them off the streets keep them away from gang related activities um and put them in a place where, where learning is exciting learning is fun um to give an example i had a friend in couple friends in Columbus who were very very smart. They they figured out how to carjack um vehicles with with an app that they developed, right? And so I'm like, guys, like why don't you 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 create a a system an app that that contributes to society is wholesome, you're not, you know, risking going to jail for that it. That stops carjackings. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. what I mean. Right, right. And and make make a ton of money, right? More money than you can imagine. Um by 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 creating this and so um and you can take care of your families you can you can do all the things that you've always wanted to do and it's it's legal right it's it's like it's a it's a a legit way to do those things and so the the big thing like i said comes down to the mind the mind shift and and engaging at at that level but i think what it really comes down to is you want to stop a lot of issues you want to change society it it truly starts with with education with putting children in an environment and students in an environment where where they can really thrive you know walter nathan we're, we're all being nice here um you know we, you're seeing generations of kids just being you know however you want to put it right destroyed by by not having the freedom to to find a better school uh you're seeing families get hurt you're seeing you know you mentioned the crime you mentioned a lot of these kids who graduate from school, if they graduate, and even if they do, they're not really set to succeed in the <clears throat> in the private sector to, to make good money. So we're being kind of nice here. You know, I, I go kind of crazy where, as, as, as Mark just mentioned, the polls in 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 many places are showing how what minorities are overwhelmingly in support of, of school choice now, especially after the after COVID. Why the heck aren't the politicians, you know, isn't it isn't it? not just good policy, but good politics for them at some point? Or I, I think I know the answer of what's behind everything, but you know, why aren't we getting angry? Why aren't we, why, why aren't more people, as I mentioned, Decatur, Illinois, where, where the results are just, just pathetic, just 2% of third graders can read at grade level. Why aren't people going crazy and why aren't they demanding their politicians to, to make good decisions? What's blocking us? 
I mean, it really comes down to what, what it really comes down to is teacher union money and influence. Um, and that's really sort of the hand moving behind the curtain. Um, and I mean, in some way to their credit, teachers unions historically have done a really great job of masking how really influential and powerful they really are. I mean, thinking about just a state like Illinois, I, I would strongly argue that you have a tough time getting elected to anything as a Democrat unless the teachers union support you. Um, and we see evidence of that through the teacher union strikes and the strikes in the city of Chicago in January, where they were able to hold basically an entire district with 250,000 students hostage because the power of the teachers union is significant and politicians want to get elected and they want to bow for that. I think the NEA's budget is between one in three billion dollars in a given year and 99 percent of those political donations go to democrats so i'm completely with you this is something that we've scratched our head over a lot in frustration is when you look at the polls when you look at especially minority voters who want education options who want education freedom and then on the flip side the politicians aren't representing those desires in a way that is uh that is meaningful and you know so a big part of our job is combating some of the myths that they use to justify that opposition so for instance you know uh, uh, a politician who's against school choice might say something like oh well public dollars for public schools okay well that doesn't really make any sense because we're comfortable with quote unquote public dollars going towards things called Pell Grants or Medicare or food stamps or the GI Bill. There, there's all these things that um, that we're okay with using that money for, but when it comes to K through 12 education, there's all this opposition. And when you ask the reason why, you end up circling back around to, okay, well, it's, it's these teachers unions who have this influence over politicians and are working to block any threat to their monopoly. Um, education freedom, threatens the power dynamics that govern the traditional education system and you know for the key stakeholders who benefit from the status quo they don't want that to change yeah that's that's certainly our experience here is that the root source is public school teacher unions and and uh, you're, you're you're right no no democrat in illinois will stand up to any of them if, if there is any other you know at least weak opposition it seems to me it might come in very prosperous suburbs where you have what are alleged to be, you know, very good schools. And they, they are very good schools in many ways. So I, you know, if I brought up this topic and, you know, Ted and I live in one of those districts with, with some people, I think they kind of scratch their heads and say, you know, they're already paying very high property taxes for those schools. And they say, well, you know, kind of what's in it for us? What does this do to our school here? Um, do, you, do you get any kind of that pushback if you go into wealthier neighborhoods or what would you say to those folks? Yeah, yeah, we certainly we certainly do. I mean across across the country. And Nathan and I always come from the angle of, you know, good policy is good policy for all of us, right? And we sh certainly shouldn't exclude people um, just because, you know, they're not directing from it um, personally, right? And so, I mean, we all we all want an educated populace, right? We we need businesses, right, to have educated people working them across the board. And so, you know, would you want a doctor or your lawyer or, you know, whoever, um, not not up to par academically, right, when they're when they're fighting for you. And so one thing that 
that we've also talked about is the importance of, of competition within a marketplace. Um, there have been there have been multiple studies that have shown that where you know choice schools pop up, uh, the surrounding public schools do better, and and so that's one thing that that we use is we say right school choice is a is a tide that lifts all boats, and when sometimes even you know you have parents who are like oh my school my school is good or, or I enjoy my school but then when you stack up right how many you know students who are really reading on grade level right schools could be doing so much better. And so I think it's a, it's a win-win for for all of us, right? When kids are in environments where they're thriving, they're doing well, you know, it's it it makes sense, right? Why wouldn't we want that? And so, uh, but it, that's important, right? The people who who are wealthy, they exercise school choice, right? They they may move to another district, they may um, you know get other resources, you know, all the, all of those things. And so we the the way that that conversation turns into, it's like, okay, well. Are you are you saying that because you could afford private education or you could afford tutoring and all those things that um, that someone who is less advantaged should not have those opportunities as well? And so, I think it's really reformatting and rechanging the dynamic of of the messaging. Right? Who doesn't want every child in America to be educated properly? Right? Like you said, two two percent of of second graders are reading on grade level. And, and that's just, that's not acceptable in any other marketplace. We would be fighting tooth and nail to ensure that those numbers go up or whatever that place is that are putting those numbers out, right? They would be shut down. And so I think we often say that, you know, when public schools um, don't perform or they fail, they get more money. But when a charter school or a private school shuts, uh, doesn't perform well, they get shut down. And so in my opinion, that's the ultimate form of accountability and allowing parents to move with their feet, vote with their feet and make the best decisions. And if, if your kid is in an environment that's not working, you know, that kind of competition would create an incentive and reason for that school to, to improve. So, Nathan, you know, we, we're talking here about school choice, and that means that the that the public money that's already set aside for for kids to go to school, instead of it going to the to the bureaucrats who run the system and to the unions who, who run the the teachers union, uh, we're saying that the money would follow the kid, right? So that kind of goes into his backpack, and then he's able to use that money at whatever school of his or her choice. So, you know, you're in Florida. We talked about it being one of the best states for that. You know, let's imagine that most listeners today are from from Illinois, and they're they're sitting here listening to us. I want them to understand just how, how broad school choice is in, in Florida, how easy it is. And you don't need to get wonky, but just kind of kind of lay, lay out the land for us there uh, where people can actually just go to different schools and, and find the one that, they, that suits them best. Sure. So, you know, Florida has done a really great job over the last 20 plus years, uh, starting small on school choice and then expanding almost every year to, to get a little bit bigger and bigger. And as we arrive here, now in, in 2021, 2022, um, I don't have the exact percentage number in my head, but something like 60% of all Florida kids are eligible for some form of school choice, which is really just an incredible thing. And around 18% of the total student population in Florida is using some kind of school choice actively. Um, there's about 500,000 students who are using school choice in Florida. So what that really does, and, and what's really super great about that is it gives us the ability to study school choice at scale. Um, 
it's not just sort of this niche uh, program sort of thing where, you know, there's a few thousand students that are taking advantage of tax credit scholarships or ESAs or whatever it is. Um, we can look at Florida throughout this multi-decade history with hundreds of thousands of students participating in programs and really get an understanding of what that does for outcomes and for performance. Um, and overwhelmingly, what we've seen from the evidence is that school choice increases your chances of graduating, increases your chances of going to college, it increases your academic outcomes, and it increases the quality of public schools when competition is instituted in the marketplace. So um, the Florida story is something that's really encouraging. We've seen uh, from the early 2000s to now, the academic ranking of Florida in comparison to the country has gone from like 32 or 33 to the top three almost every year. So the education story in Florida has completely turned around. And that has been the result of decades worth of legislative fights and slow moving and expanding the programs, instituting no pro new programs. For the Illinois listener, I'd like to propose uh, an alternative approach to that is instead of going through the multi-decade sort of uh, snail inching forward towards widespread school choice, it would be great if we could just get Illinois to pass, you know, a gigantic bill that gives school choice to everybody immediately. Um, I think Walter and I would agree that that would be something we, you know, we'd certainly be supportive of. Um, but really, uh, the, you know, looking at Florida, Florida as a place to emulate uh, is something that I very strongly would uh, would suggest. Hey, Nathan, I want our listeners to know that uh, in Illinois, we spent over $16,000 a student um, in the public school system when you add up the state, local, and federal money, over 16000 close to 17000 In Florida, you guys spend less than 10000 So yep. it's about a $6,600 gap per student in spending. And yet Florida does as well or better on the national uh, on NAEP test. So it's amazing that Florida actually does better or the same on, on most things. And yet they spend a lot, lot less. And we yeah. can't forget that Florida has more low income students than, than Illinois does. And I think it's about the same uh, level of minority students. So you guys are doing a lot better with a lot less money. Uh, one of the reasons why you guys are attracting people, your taxes are low and your education system is providing choice. Yeah, and to take that uh, to, I mean, that's certainly an amazing thing. And to take it even one step further, not only is Florida educating its students on less money than most you know, northern states around the country, but usually school choice programs are actually less than the total allotment of federal, state, and, and local money, too. So school choice programs are students who use school choice programs typically outperform their counterparts in the public school system, and they do that on even less money <laughs> consistently across the board. Guys, is, is there any formal kind of schedule or program that's going to have you you two back here in Illinois or in Chicago? Because I, I, I am absolutely certain that if, if people saw you, if we could get you on the media here, we'd win. Um, what are our chances for uh, getting you back here? You got other states to attend to, I know, but uh, uh, tell us what else you're doing. So we're, like you said, we're always on the road, always moving around, but there's a very high chance that we will be back in Illinois, back in Chicago. Um, kind of the way that we've structured what we do is, 
you know, we're extremely flexible and fast moving. So, you know, we're in a place in 24 hours if we have to be. Um, and, you know, that creates high, high chances that we'll be back in Illinois, um, in Chicago. Nathan Walter, I got one, one last question for you, Mark, you may have another, but, um, you guys, as you just said, travel across the country and you see the big differences in cities and states. Uh, those that offer a lot of educational freedom, like Indiana next door has a, a very expansive school choice program, uh, where you guys are, you know, I was looking at the Ohio and seeing all the programs. I was impressed with that. Um, so here you go. You got Chicago. And, you know, I, I could I could say Decatur. I could say Rockford. I could say lots of places. But let's just stay with Chicago for a minute. Chicago South Side. So you got a family, a family there and they're concerned about the crime as, as we we all know how, how bad that's gotten recently. Uh, the schools, the the level of corruption we've seen in Illinois. What's your message to them, especially you, Walter? I mean, you you were in the inner city. You, you got you guys had to struggle and survive and, and, and whatever your family's done to do that. What do you tell a Chicago Southside family, especially when you see what's happening in other cities and states across the country? Back, back to that whole five years kind of thing. What what should they do? Yeah, um, it, it and that's, that's tough because even though there's similar experiences, right, everyone has things that, you know, I may not have, may not ex have experienced or, or thought about, but I think the biggest thing is, is that there is still hope and, and not to give up. I mean, Nathan and I, a lot of organizations across the country are, are fighting and, and supporting this legislation. Um, but I think for a parent, an action step that they can do now is get involved. Let, let your voice be heard. We need every single voice that we can in this movement. And I think a great example, as much as I try to be a, a hater against Florida, because Nathan always talks about it, uh, a really good example of, of parent voices was when um, DeSantis won his election um, and, and the importance of the role that Black moms specifically had um, in, that, in that race because the, the program was, was being threatened. And then the same thing we saw last year with the uh, gubernatorial race in Virginia. Um, Youngkin uh, was not the not the uh, favorite to to win that seat, but because he he stood and fought on a on a platform for parents, um, that pushed him over the edge. And so for Chicago, you got to get involved. You got to make your voices heard. There's such strong opposition there, and and we need as many parents across all races, across all party lines, to to come together and and make sure that their voice that their voice is heard. And so when it comes time for um, you know, elections and all those things, you, you have to do your research, you have to stay engaged, and you have to make sure that your voice is, is counted for and, uh, and heard. And, and if parents need, hop, need help, need options, feel free to reach out to the boys. We're willing to, to do whatever it takes to, to work with a parent. If we have to sit down with them one-on-one, right, and walk them through it. I mean, that's a lot of work, and it will take a lot of time, but that's something that um, someone did for me when I was in that same exact position. And and I definitely want to make sure that the boys are in a position to help in, in any way possible. So for parents, keep moving forward and make sure that your voice is heard. Yeah, boy, I, I think you really hit on something, too, talking about the elections as a, a catalyst for discussion on, on school choice. You know, Chicago's mayoral election is next February, and uh, th this could really become a centerpiece issue. I, I, I think it's very possible. A smart candidate, I think, would make it a centerpiece issue. And we're hopeful that that's going to happen. Um, you know, this fall's election for, for everybody else. Well, there's a lot of other issues competing for things like 
you know, crime and inflation and the collapse of Western civilization. Um, but uh, the the, uh, uh, the mayoral election could be the big one for this issue, I think, in Chicago. So I hope hope that uh, some of the candidates are listening are going to be talking to you folks and enlisting your help. Yeah, we certainly expect there to be uh, a sort of reckoning in in this year's elections. Um, this this will be the first, you know, really huge election cycle since uh, you know the, the onset of COVID education. And what we saw last year, even in the Yunkin campaign in Virginia, is that education played a huge role. Um, you know, part of that, and I would encourage your listeners and and anyone else is. Uh, to, to bounce off what Walter said, is it, it is really important to do your research about the candidates who are working to earn your vote. Um, school choice isn't a partisan issue. Um, there are lots of Democrats who oppose school choice. There are some Democrats who are overwhelmingly supportive of it. Supportive of it. Um, there are plenty of Republicans who oppose school choice for, you know, what we think are ridiculous reasons. Um, but so party can't be you know, necessarily your guiding line on on the issue of school choice. It's important to dig in and find out what every politician believes, because the reality of the situation is, is adults tend to sort of structure their their political priorities in their head. But almost overwhelmingly, parents have kids at the very top of that pyramid. So, um, you know, make sure that you're you're voting for your kids and, and do your research on your candidates. Well, Walter and Nathan, thank you guys for joining us. Uh, tell everybody how to reach the boys um, for, for help, for research, for, uh, for passion. Sure. So you can follow us on all platforms at School Choice Boys with a Z. Um, and just go ahead and, and shoot us a DM or, or a message, and we'd be happy to assist, to answer questions, uh, or to, to do anything else. All right, guys, go get them. Really proud of what you're doing. Stay on it. Appreciate Thank it. You. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, guys. You.